Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to the three-year anniversary of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami and joining me today is none other than the bardic inspiration himself. He is the one and only person who helped me start this podcast. It is Craigie C. Craigie C, welcome back. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here for what is now the fourth time talking about Dungeons & Dragons related stuff. Start celebrating the three-year anniversary and it's an absolute thrill to be here. Yeah, see, a couple of years ago when we started this podcast, did you think we were going to make it to the three-year mark? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be real with you, man. I only see, like, weeks at a time in my timeline. I'm really bad at imagining things, so I didn't think you were ever going to stop, but I didn't know it would ever last this long. But, mate, I guess probably your perspective is more interesting because it's your show. What what did you think was going to happen? Honestly, I have no idea, because by the time this episode is out, the Chats of Shorts episodes will be out for this, where I talk about my experience over the years, what I've learned about podcasting. Honestly, after the first episode, I was like, you know that Napoleon meme that's going around where he's just sitting there and he's like, there's nothing we can do. That was like me after the first episode. What now? After episode one I was like, what am I going to do? Because obviously you were doing your podcast at the time and you had other things to do so you can come on every week and there was other friends who can come on so I was just like how do I keep it going? And then of course as we all know fortunately Adam had stepped in to co-host and now Andrew's here. You keep coming back as well in the best way possible <laughs> at least up until the Minions episode. Surprisingly I still can't believe that's the very first episode that you and I did in person. It really didn't get topped after that. We never did another one in person because we didn't need to. I know, with a thousand plays and <laughs> millions of plays. Gold plated by Spotify if they do that. <laughs> I don't, do Spotify do something like that? I sure. don't know. Be sure. Let's pretend. They've just got a gold minion just with our signatures on it. We gave it to them, actually. We, we <laughs> sent them the gold minion with the, the, the signatures on it to say good luck for hosting this episode. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. See, when you called me up at 3am asking for a couple of <laughs> pounds for like a solid gold minion I was like surely they're scamming you at those prices that leads us on to today's sponsor this episode (laughs) (laughs) oh for legal reasons that's a joke we are not sponsored by Illumination or any affiliates who want to make I don't know what would you call it effigies of minions out of gold (laughs) the golden god of minions but yeah it is hard to believe that it has been three whole years and we've gone through so many topics haven't we it's nice though because we're coming back to something around Dungeons and Dragons which is kind of like the anniversary now, it's, it's what we do every year. It's nice to kind of look back and reflect on it because there's been so much, so many things, so many like themed months, so many different topics, you've got the Patreon now, you've done Twitch streaming, there's a whole host of things to look back on. As you said, Dungeons and Dragons was the topic that kicked us all off and as I said when I was writing that other episode for Chats of Shorts I was basically talking about how I had a bit of an identity crisis with the podcast because as I said, we did Dungeons and Dragons and then I was like, right, what now? Because I don't have nearly the knowledge to do a Dungeons & Dragons podcast (laughs) just solely talking about it. I wasn't sure whether it was going to be a gaming podcast, a film and TV podcast. So I did what I do best. I became indecisive and just chose everything. They don't tell you that in podcasting school, but yeah, you don't need to pick one topic. It's crazy. Yeah, 
it is surprising the amount of people that do try to and don't get me wrong obviously if you're very passionate about one topic mm. then by all means go for it don't feel as if you don't have to go for one topic but yeah the amount of podcasters who are like oh you have to stick to one topic to be successful you have to do this you have to do that and they are through the roof popular you don't have to really have them advertising themselves they've got their fans doing it for them kind of thing and they talk about everything without naming any names or certain ones but you know they don't really need to hone in on one thing so yeah no I, I wouldn't agree with people having to focus on one thing which is ironic considering the one thing we're going to focus on for the third time is <laughs> the fourth time what was the third time first year anniversary second year anniversary third year anniversary in the first episode did we do it for the second year anniversary I feel like we did oh no we definitely mentioned it there's no way <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know that meme of try not to mention Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> sweatboard no yeah. but yeah of course today because of this glorious anniversary for living as long with the podcast yeah today we are indeed going to be talking about a film that before we actually came on I was actually surprised it came out this year and that of course is Dungeons and Dragons Honour Amongst Thieves honestly I was actually really shocked by this film before we get into this film in depth I remember seeing it advertised and let's face it this particular genre kind of shares itself with the reputation of things like video game films, early superhero films. The first D&D film. The first D&D film. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that way it's like there's so many bad adaptations beforehand that you can't believe there's going to be a good one on the horizon. Yeah and I think especially when it comes to something like Dungeons and Dragons where it's like tonally so weird. I think Dungeons and Dragons is a really difficult thing to nail down because the concept of Dungeons and Dragons is pretty serious but anyone that's played D&D or watched anything to do with D&D knows it's the opposite. No matter how serious you try to make a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, it's going to go off the rails in some way. I think that's where the first D&D movie kind of went. It was fine for a movie, but it never really captured the spirit of Dungeons and Dragons. I think that's a really difficult thing to do. I was thinking about this when we lead up to this, but I think this film could only have been made post-Marvel movies because they needed that stupidity. The same like the Guardians of the Galaxy tone that only really been done post-Marvel. Yeah, shocking is a good way to describe it because I think it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because see when this was getting advertised is it right to say that a lot of people were feeling quite apprehensive about it? Yeah, the trailers definitely weren't funny, particularly I think they had a couple of jokes in them but they weren't hilariously funny. So I think people were unsure of what line it would ride. Would it be stupid or would it be serious? You know, I think people didn't really know what it was going to be. I think anything where it's got such a big fandom there's always going to be apprehension for any kind of movie adaptation. And as you said, it is weird looking back on see the first adaptation where they took a very serious approach. I don't know enough about the lore. I'm going to be honest here, and this is me putting my cards on the table, but I do not know enough about the D&D lore to say, oh, this is so-and-so from that place or this place. This is probably going to get my D&D card revoked here, but I know the basics of it. I know what a beholder is. I know the class systems. I know more or less the surface level stuff, owl bears and mimics and things like that. I know about those, but when I was looking up this film again, there's a lot of really cool Easter eggs and things for locations and such. And I'm going to be honest, and this is your fault, so apologies, but <laughs> I've only played homebrew campaigns. I wanted to interrupt you. I'll tell you, like, I'm going to revoke my own D&D card here. Actually, it was Craig's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, I mean, it's both our faults. <laughs> it was a different time, okay? None of us knew any better. 
Goodwill Hunting moment there. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. As I spoke about in length, you know, in the past episode, so please feel free to check those out. But as I said, there's no wrong way to play D&D. If you want to play it as a min-max session or whatever, if you want to play more gameplay oriented, feel free. If you want to roleplay more, feel free. But for us, it was a lot more homebrew. And I think for us, that gave it a very emotional connection. You know, it wasn't just ex-location from the books. It was Green Top Island or all of these places. And it was just quite special in that way. So I have to say, when they had really in-depth moments, I have to admit, I wasn't as clued up. But were you the same? I'm a little more clued up, but not massively. So one of my first passes into D&D was Acquisitions Incorporated, the series. And they use the actual official D&D law and settings. And basically, what they were, typically the way their games would work is they were like an official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. So Dungeons & Dragons would release a module and they would play a bit of that. So that was kind of where I knew most of the lore from. So like City Name, I didn't like know the stories, but like the locations and the various things like that was kind of more what I knew. So that was like these today levels that I went to, but things like characters and stuff I'm not that clued up on. If you were a Dungeons & Dragons fan and you heard name drops like, is it Jonathan mm. And things like that. If you heard those, you'd be like, oh, I get that. But I think for me, because I went in completely blind, or not completely, but relatively blind, yeah. at least I could enjoy the twists and turns. You know, you could kind of expect yeah. bits and pieces, but I have to say it was a lot more enjoyable in that way, where I was like, oh my god, it's that location, or how are they going to get to <laughs> this location? Honestly, I'm a bit disappointed there wasn't more shatter spells, to be quite frank. <laughs> I was severely disappointed they didn't just crash the wall and then just walk through. Yeah, I mean, what's quite cool though is, like, you mentioned Easter eggs and stuff, every spell that's used in that movie is a Dungeons & Dragons spell, like, it's something that the Wizards of the Sorcerers and Spadures can use, which is really cool. You didn't need to know everything, which is quite a nice balance, but, like, if things helped, you know what I mean? It was, it was, I think that was really cool. Something I think's missing quite a lot, because I'm going to be real, I've stopped watching Star Wars, because I get to the stage where I'm like, am I supposed to know everything here? I get myself confused about what I do and don't know, what I'm supposed to know watching everything, so now I'm like, nah, I can't watch Star Wars anymore, there's too much going on, every character's someone else. Something like this, where it's just like, oh, there's a wee nod, like, that's fine, and that's a good level for me, I think. No, I totally agree with you on that point. It is definitely a chore watching. I think it's more a Disney thing, mind you, but it's not isolated to them. If you've got your MCUs, you've got your Star Wars, where they have to have like a bigger universe to bring in together, but with D&D, and especially with this film, there is so much lore, but I have to say, they do explain it in quite a good, well-paced manner. I never really felt bored throughout the film. Do you remember the first film, where they had like this huge exposition scene in this council chamber or something. I don't remember, you know, word for word. I just remember nearly falling asleep and it was like Jeremy Irons and whoever the queen princess, whoever the other person was. Queen princess? <laughs> queen princess, my moral enemy. No, that's not a class in D&D before anybody asks. But they are arguing about this or that and they're having the time of their lives with their acting. And yeah, I was like, oh, this is absolutely terrible the way they do it. But I love how, I mean this in the most complimentary way possible, the fact this starts at a prison, you know, you've got your characters locked up, you get their <laughs> backstory. See if they started at a tavern, I feel as if that would be the more stereotypical manner to start off, but I thought that was perfect, the way they started it, and the way that they explained the backstory of the characters. Yeah, and I think even the backstories are great, because it's like, just enough trope. You know what you're getting, but they've all got like little twists and turns in the characters as well, which I really like. And I mean, as I said, the Jonathan twist, I did not see that coming. 
coming. <laughs> I was absolutely in hysterics because I yeah. genuinely, I didn't realise this was a character, but I kept thinking, oh, Jonathan, he must know him and everything. That's yeah, why they're yeah, making yeah. such a big deal. And then when this big eagle-looking guy came in, I was like, <laughs> oh, I get it now. The joke is well, that they were going to release him and then... <laughs> They had this madcap escape, and like, as a dungeon master, that's such a D&D player thing to do. I think this is the thing they absolutely nailed was the tone. The amount of times where, as a dungeon master, that you're watching this game, you're like, no, this is exactly what my idiot players would do. And the bit where they've concocted this scheme to escape the prison, they just get released anyway, but it's like, no, we're following through on the scheme. It's, it's such a D&D game thing. There's not a D&D group that I've been with that wouldn't do that same stupid mistake. Yeah, I have to admit, I was watching that and as someone who's only played a bard extensively through D&D I was like that is a hundred percent what I would do <laughs> <laughs> that would honestly be the moment I would put my hand up and say eh, Craig can I speak to you for a second <laughs> so you're telling me he's got wings right hmm yeah okay write it down write it down no I would a hundred percent do that but yeah I completely agree with you I love the absolute mix of things in this film especially in terms of of the plot points and the tones because you've got your serious moments, you've got your comedic relief, you've got your drama your emotional beats as we said you've got all of these things coming together and I feel as if they somehow blend perfectly and going back to what we were talking about in our episode on our D&D experience it was amazing how at least for us we had some characters who went through really big character arcs and serious moments but there was other times where some would attempt to go through a serious moment but then other people would uh, <laughs> well like myself and Adam of course we would decide we were going to start an interior decorating business, we were going to blow up peasants by accident because we thought we had the right parcel long story, listen to my episode on Blumbro the Bard <laughs> yeah it was amazing to see that because you had the bard who was oh look I'm the comic relief but then he also had this serious side to him of trying to rescue his daughter you had the sleazy nobleman you had the strong I want to say barbarian she was definitely barbarian you had the wizard who was going through an identity crisis you had the OP druid you know you had <laughs> like all the best druids <laughs> exactly yeah I mean it's not a party until they break out the owl bear. I mean come on that is the thing though it just it blended so perfectly but what did you think about that? yeah no I totally agree I think like that's the thing that they nailed the most and I'll, I'll probably keep mentioning it because I, I just think they did such a fantastic job of it was that tool I would have thought it was impossible to do to be honest before it because yeah Dungeons and Dragons is all of those things in that it is dramatic it is emotional it is stupid it is scary it is action you know in the, well, that all is Dungeons and Dragons it is a heist movie they did a heist in the, in the film they had puzzles they nailed it they absolutely nailed all the different tones all the different story beats the betrayals the different characters they nailed it I genuinely would have assumed it was impossible going in obviously I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons fan and that style of comedy and that style of what they came up with is very similar to I think the games that we played I think that was very similar to us and I guess if Dungeons Dragons isn't that to you it might have been a bit different but I just thought I thought they nailed it the tone was perfect for the film and all the, all the emotional story beats just, everything was so reflective of the experiences that we've had because going back to the first attempt and granted there's probably loads of other attempts before the film I'm thinking of here but you know that was overly serious but yeah. then you had the moments where they tried 
to make it kind of comedic, but the thing was, it felt as if it was a serious story with comedic elements interjected. It was also serious characters. The characters, I think that was one of the things they did really well in this film, was the characters. I don't want to use the word quirky because people don't like that word now, but I think it was quirky and each characters have their own little failures and funnies and weirdness. I think that's what really builds the Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing, as opposed to a serious story with serious characters. No, absolutely, because I'm using all my brain power here to actually think back to those characters. But that's the thing, though. It's like, you think back to them and you're like, oh yeah, you've got the stereotypical adventurer and his friend, you've got the dwarf, you've got the rogue... I can't even remember, but that actually brings me on to an interesting point. The fact that all of them are so distinctive in who they are. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but I don't think enough credit's given to this, especially for visual design. As we said, you've got the barbarian character. She is very muscular. She takes no nonsense. She does her own thing and gets annoyed when she's interrupted. You've got Chris Pratt's character, of course, who is the bard, you know, obviously because he's holding the loop, but just the way he dresses quite powerfully. You've got the wizard, you've got the druid, as I said, the nobleman. You've got all of these people that dress in a particular way, look a particular way, and it's just, it's fantastically done, because even if you're not a D&D fan, you can immediately go, right, I know what to expect from each character, and I don't think that's really applauded enough. Yeah, it's one of those things that kind of bugs me in movies, and again, I'm, I'm going to come across dead slow in this episode, but there we go. See the amount of TV shows movies I watch, and then the fight scene breaks out, and I'm like, who's the good guy again? Because everyone's wearing black and everyone's wearing buckles and you can have the best costume in the world but when everyone else looks the same it makes these things really difficult to follow and the final fight of this film is super easy to follow and there's a bit of a joke at the end of the film about when he's dead where every attack is six seconds apart at the end of the film which is a reference to how long it takes attacks to hit in D&D but that bit where they're all fighting the final big boss mage and every character is super distinctive you can tell who everyone is instantly what their powers are you know what they're doing everyone's so unique yeah they did an amazing job of just that costume and that distinctive style that everyone has well like they all move differently they all fight differently they've done a really fantastic job of that and yeah it means idiots like me can follow along because I mean I can't believe I'm bringing anime into this discussion but that's one of the things that people make fun of or not make fun of but they do meme on it where they say oh boy who's the protagonist and obviously yeah. it's the multicoloured spiky haired person and you think oh trying to find the Jojo villain in the crowd gimmick yeah exactly well to be fair in Jojo they <laughs> all look like protagonists <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in that universe skips leg day. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's the thing, though. It's that idea of making your heroes distinctive, and you're completely right. It makes it so much easier to follow. Because, I mean, even the best of series do that, where it's like, oh, this is the hero. And you only know that initially because yeah. that's literally what you're told. <laughs> they look down the camera and they're like, this is your hero. You better follow him to the <laughs> ends of the earth. But going back to the comedy, I have to admit, one of the bits that I wasn't expecting to find as funny was was the graveyard scene. Yes. That was just absolutely hysterical. And that's one of those ones that I think written down doesn't seem that funny. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. they, t- they talk to dead people and they can't figure it out. But that's the Dungeons and Dragons experience. Like, I think that's another great scene that Sam sums up was just like, the players are stupid. <laughs> it's a really simple problem they can't figure it out themselves. I mean, to be fair, we've done that before. Oh, 100%. Well, sorry. I say we. I mean, I've done it as a player with you DMing and you just shaking your head in the background like, no, no, Satsu, why did you do this? It's something that I actually find quite interesting. It's not something I really 
probably thought of when I was first watching it, but you know the scene where the two main characters, Hogan and Edgwin, they get captured by Hugh Grant's character, who, honestly, let's face it, it's just Hugh Grant. Yeah, 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 he's not acting. <laughs> Do you know the popularity of multiverses going on in the media just now? I like to think he's a variant of the villain out of Paddington, because let's face it, both <laughs> spoilers, but it both ends the same way, <laughs> and they both get into prison by the end. Right, I, I was wondering where you were going with that, because I was like, I don't I remember Paddington very differently. <laughs> well, he just grabs one of the officers and jumps out the window. <laughs> I was like, I have to remember Paddington so differently. Oh, come on. Paddington would definitely fit into this universe. Oh, 100%. I mean, I mean, that goes up. Paddington goes... Have you ever done an episode on Paddington? I haven't, actually. Join us back here for the fourth year anniversary. We do- <laughs> Paddington class system. <laughs> would it be a rogue? Would it be a bard? Let's uh... find out. <laughs> I have to add that onto the list because Paddington is absolutely a fantastic film. It's a masterpiece, as Martin Scorsese would probably say. (laughs) So it's the scene where they're caught by Hugh Grant and it's quite a funny scene, of course, where Hoga asks the, I think it's one of the guards, like how he takes care of his axe, obviously with the intention to kill him or beat him up and steal his axe and everything. Which again, is another really nice touch. And she's beating him up with ease and Chris Pratt's character, he's still tied up, he's still trying to get out. He's like, you've got this, you've got this. And someone said it's a bit like, see when you're in combat and one person has got really good roles and they're like punching everyone, but then the (laughs) other person is like still fumbling at the back and he's like, you've got this! Still getting ones and twos in the back. I thought that was a good touch. I don't know how much to add to that, but one thing in a similar note that I thought of is the scene where they're in the underdark and the fat dragon starts trying to chase them and starts rolling. My wife pointed out quite correctly that that was the DM rolling on one. So instead of it... (laughs) The players can mess up, but uh, the dungeon master can also mess up, and that was a prime example of the dungeon master messing up. was like, oh man, I've got this cool dragon. No, no, wait, I don't. He's an absolute <laughs> I actually didn't realise that dragon was a character as well out the war. Yeah. And again, this was a joy for me because I had no idea what half of these characters did. <laughs> and when they turned up, I was like, oh man, that's cool. You know, a dragon spitting acid. It's like, oh yeah, I think it's black dragons can spit acid. Or I mean, I- I'm just going to trust the film. I'm just going to be like, yeah, you know what? If you say that, that's fine. And then they were talking about red wizards and things. And I was just like, okay, evil wizard. Because again, the visual style of this film is really iconic, I have to say. Because you've got the stereotypical, <laughs> oh, fantasy city that you've seen a million times. But you did want to see more of this world. You didn't just want to cut your losses and just say, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, and I hope that the film did well enough that we can get sequels. That's my hope for it, because the world was fantastic. All the work they put into it, I'd love more in that universe. Well, we love D&D, but the universe was so nicely done, all the cities and stuff, I'd love to see more of it. Here's a question for you, though. Do you think this film was accessible to a general audience, as opposed to just, you know, targeting the D&D audience? It's a hard one to say, because obviously we're not the general audience. I think it was. Like, I heard about people going that enjoyed it that didn't necessarily know D&D, but I did I think it didn't do amazing numbers in the cinema and I think a lot of that is just to do with it was trying to be a blockbuster without the yeah. right brand. From all accounts I've heard people that went to go see it enjoyed it but yeah I don't think it made the money the studio were expecting because so many people just didn't go see it. Because I have to say without going into it too much because I mean this could be an episode in itself but I remember seeing the online discourse just in the run up to it and it seems to just be a thing about discourse over movies nowadays where you've always got someone who's just overly 
negative. People who are saying, oh, I didn't like the fact that Chris Pratt wasn't like the muscular hero and all of this rubbish, or oh, I didn't like this character or that character. And I have to say, there are some people out there who probably heard the negativity or, you know, secondhand negativity, where it's like a friend of a friend said the D&D movie's bad, but you don't quite know. So, I mean, I don't know if maybe that affected it as well, but I mean, considering it came out relatively, not relatively quick, but it came out on Paramount Plus here, and I was actually really surprised it came out so soon on streaming services. Like, not overly soon, but... I think that's just the way a lot of things are now, though, with post-COVID. I think they rush a lot of the films, especially the ones that were made in that era, to streaming. We'll see what happens in the future. I think they want to get their money back, so sell it quickly. Aye, I suppose that is true, though. And that is a thing now that's starting to correct itself, because obviously during the lockdowns, during COVID, they were trying to market it to streaming services, and nowadays they're like, oh no, cinemas are back open quick. <laughs> Keep them away, which, yeah, I've got to say, I'm not a big fan of that model, but you know, they're not going to listen to this episode, let's say, so be like, oh no, Satsu said it, reverse course. But before we wrap up, though, is there any particular moments in this film that stood out to you? Because I know we've talked about the different bits, yeah. like Jonathan and Hugh Grant as a villain, which... <laughs> <laughs> the bit where we had the character that was the paladin, whose name I'm totally forgetting now, who turns up, helps him with a bunch of sessions, and then leaves by stepping over a rock in a funny way without breaking his stride. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> Basically everything in the film is almost like a meta commentary in D D itself. And so I was like I was laughing at the thought of that character being like the guy that's either the D D stand that so the Dungeon Master stand in when the players just aren't getting any plot in and you're like, like we're gonna have to hide this up and I'll bring in an NPC to move them along. Or it was like a player who's actually good at the game coming in for that session and then just leaving and never mentioned again. And like all that stuff. That one in particular. The fight at the end, thought that was fantastically done. The whole we didn't even mention like the stuff in the Coliseum, but that's like a classic bit of D D work and all the different mazes and stuff the way they built up that. I took a lot of ideas from it and I'm a little sad that everyone that I do play D&D with has probably watched this film now because I would have liked to have just stole a whole bunch of it. <laughs> That's kind of all my highlights. What about you? Well, just touching on that point about people you know watching this film, did Wizards of the Coast not release stats for each character? Like if you wanted to play as them? They did. They did character sheets. That was such a good move on their part. Amazing. Such a good way to get people into Dungeons and Dragons. Just wanted to point that out. I thought that was actually fantastic. Yeah, as I said, the Colosseum fight was great. I did like the wee Easter egg where you saw in the background there was like another party that were dressed as, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it the characters from the cartoon? Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was a nice nod. I thought the action overall was just fantastic. I was really surprised. <laughs> I genuinely didn't know what to think because my girlfriend and I, we decided one gloomy day, oh, let's just put Dungeons and Dragons on and she's never played D&D before. So I was like, you know what? If you enjoy it, that's great. If you don't enjoy it, I'm not going to be like, oh my God. Oh, enjoy it. <laughs> but I was just surprised between the action, between the comedy. I have to admit, I did get flashbacks at the very end to your session, your finale, when it's like all the people banding yeah. together and this hopeless situation. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> been here before. <laughs> it's literally me, oh my god. But I absolutely found that fantastic. As I said, all the actors, I think, did an incredible job in their roles. I don't think there's anybody that was necessarily weak. I mentioned it before, but in the old film, you got people who were either overacting or not acting enough, whereas I feel as if everybody here had that perfect balance. And even with the villains, you know, they were evil, but that was the role they were supposed to play. They weren't comedy evil. They were still 
evil enough to take them seriously. But then you had the comedic relief villain, Hugh Grant's character, of course. And again, I've said it before, but him playing the charismatic villain, I feel as if he does a good job in that role. Trying to think of who else. Bradley Cooper for one, two scenes. Was he? Right, can I ask something here? (laughs) Yeah, because one, I was really surprised at that. (laughs) I was like, is that Bradley Cooper? (laughs) Am I getting flashbacks to Star is Born here? (laughs) Like, what is going on? Or Interstellar as well, insert your own jokes. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Was he a gnome or was he a halfling? I have no idea, man. I think, I think it was a gnome. I think they made a joke. I haven't seen the film in a while, so I can't remember the exact joke. Oh, uh-huh, because he was ridiculous. And I don't know if it is just the scale or whatever, but he was ridiculously small <laughs> in that. I mean, I played a gnome bard when I first played the game. And I was looking at him and I thought, there's no way he's <laughs> a gnome. Surely not. And then I did find it funny when his new partner came in and she was yeah, like yeah, a yeah. giant. I did find that funny but I'm like is that because she's there and you know it's the big chair because it's not like Lord of the Rings where the hobbits are proportional <laughs> oh yeah that scene messed me up a wee bit I'm not going to lie I'm not going to lie I was sitting there thinking what is the height scaling in this universe as I said I thought the paladin was absolutely fantastic as well just the OP DMPC <laughs> I thought it was just fantastic as I said the finale as well was great honestly there's just so much of this film from its visuals to the choreography I do honestly think that it deserves a sequel but it'd be interesting to see what they did with it given more time because for this one this was the quintessential D&D campaign you start off in prison you get broken out through the most ridiculous way possible and then yeah you go in a series of shenanical quests is that a word <laughs> shenanical quests yeah, yeah yeah why not you end up defeating someone who's basically going to destroy the universe so or not universe but you know their universe so i honestly think if you haven't seen this and even if you're not a DD fan but you're on the fringes of being a fantasy fan you would definitely love this film a hundred percent yeah great thing it's a good time as well it's a quick film it's funny it reminds me a lot of guardians of galaxies if you like that you probably like as well. Yeah, it's a good time. A good family-friendly room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, some scenes aren't family friendly, but you know, watch with caution. That's a 12 Ah, yeah, yeah. Family friendly fun. I mean, it's the same level as Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. And by that, I mean the Sam Raimi one where you get the skeletons. Family friendly fun. And again, it's just a notch in the belt of Wizards of the Coast getting Dungeons and Dragons more mainstream. Because don't get me wrong, they don't need help with things like Critical Role, with more people getting into it through mainstream media. And then, of course, now they've got a film which by all means I think would encourage people I mean I think I would if I was younger and I saw this film I would at least be a wee bit curious about this one oh yeah 100% like you said it's another notch and that's what they're looking for I mean the fact that this was even able to get made I think nowadays shows how big D&D's got and yeah it's only going to make it bigger so if you haven't seen this film definitely go check it out because you won't regret it you definitely won't regret it and I was going to make a joke about rolling a d20 but you know what go buy your own d20s <laughs> but seeing that note Gracie, thank you so much for joining me on the third anniversary of Chat Tsunami. And what a journey it's been. Yeah, what a journey. It's been a pleasure to be here once again. And I'll see you next year for our D&D Paddington campaign. Yes. <laughs> Paddington month coming soon. For legal reasons, that's a joke, by the way. <laughs> But yeah, on that note, thank you all so, so much for not only listening to this episode, but listening to us throughout the years and yeah, keeping with us this long. (laughs) 
Honestly, I say it all the time, but I'm genuinely grateful to all of you out there who actually listen to the show. We put in a lot of work into it, and you know, it's a lot of fun for us as well. Well, I'm speaking on your behalf, Craig. <laughs> Sorry, I was gonna say, I actually don't put a lot of work into this at all, it's actually mostly sad. So I just turn up and talk crap. <laughs> <laughs> you just break down my door and go, Listen, minions, <laughs> we need to talk about minions, about Godzilla, about puddlefish. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about puddlefish. You're the one that puts in the real work, I just turn up. And I'm glad for your service, so thank you. <laughs> Otherwise, this would be a very one-sided episode. <laughs> but yeah, thank you all so, so much for supporting the show. It really means a lot to us. And if you want to check out more of our episodes, long-term listeners might know where to find us, but in case any of you are first-time listeners today, you can find us on our website, chatsunami.com, as well as all good podcast apps. Just look for the Red Panda under the name Chatsunami, and we'll see you there. I also want to give a huge shout-out to our Pandalorian patrons, Robotic Battle Toaster and Sonia thank you so much for supporting the show and of course if you want to get exclusive content on Patreon you can check us out on patreon.com forward slash chat tsunami but until then stay safe stay awesome and most importantly stay hydrated roll for hydration that's a 12 that's actually not too bad (laughs) (laughs) see it's tap water but it's room temperature Mm, uh, not ice cold what did you get for your hydration roll leave it in the comments Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Shatsunami, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that's sounds like your cup of tea, then you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low quality, one track audio waves. <laughs> But with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story.